Okay. Um, today we're going to talk about resumes, job searching, and job interviewing. And this will be recorded, so whoever's not here will get to check it out. Um, and I tried to, yet again, bring a biblical angle to this, because um, finding a job is biblical, working is biblical, sloth is a sin. Um, but how do you present yourself, right? A resume is somewhat self-aggrandizing, it's somewhat boasting, it's um, borderline prideful. So how do you, how do, you do this <laughs> without... Not coming across as, you know, you, you want to be a Christian in when, you, when you do this. Um, so balancing that kind of humility of what you've accomplished, what you've done with the pride of some of the accomplishments, um, but also not boasting. Um, being honest and truthful versus lying. The worst thing you can do is lie on a resume because you will be found, I guarantee it. If you say something that's on your resume that wasn't true, you will be found. Um, being confident and confident in Christ, not so much in your own abilities, but what you know, through Christ, you can do in the job search how you can talk about your accomplishments versus the fear of rejection, right? Job search naturally entails a lot of rejection. And if you have a lot of rejection, that's actually a good thing. It means you're interviewing a lot, right? But you don't, you can't take that as a, you know, condemnation of who you are. You can't take that as a rejection um, of you yourself. It's no, the job wasn't the right fit. The, the chemistry wasn't there, whatever. Um, and just being confident that Christ has this all planned out for you. Trusting in God versus trusting in the, in the world. Um, there is a plan. You may not get the job right away. You may not get the ideal job. It may take you forever. Um, but knowing that there is a grand plan behind this and you're suffering through the job search, suffering through being laid off, whatever, all that has a purpose. And I always, um, in a lot of the mentoring I do, I try and point out the silver lining. Getting laid off when you're early in your career is probably the best thing that will ever happen to you. Having a terrible boss early in your career is the best thing that will ever happen to you because you'll, first of all, feel that pain early, which is, trust me, a lot easier than much later in your career. And having a terrible boss teaches you who you never want to work for ever again and who you never want to be as a boss. So those kind of, and getting rejected for a job, all that stuff, great to have tons of failures early, right? Have all these failures before you're 30. Don't do it later. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Um, and remember, your job doesn't define you, right? And I know this is tough, especially in New York, but in the United States in particular, career, job is kind of, that's who I am. When people say, who are you? You say, oh, I, I'm so-and-so at so-and-so company. I work for so-and-so. What do you do for a living? That's kind of our opening line. And we're Christians first, Yes, then we have a living, then we have a job, then we have a company. Um, but those change, especially this younger generation. I mean, I've mentioned this before. I've changed jobs probably more, twice as often as most people my age would have throughout their career, just because of opportunities and chances we've taken um, and things, you know, that happen. Um, but, you know, the Jennifer's dad's generation or my dad's generation, they had one or two companies and they stayed there for 30, 40 years. Um, your generation is going to change jobs 20 times over the course of a 40, 50 year career. Um, so remember that job doesn't define you. It's, you know, your, your existence through Christ is what defines you. And the job comes and goes, the bosses come and go, the salary comes and goes. Um, but don't, don't put all of your existence into this one job. And if you lose it or don't get it, you're like, ooh, it's devastating. That doesn't define who you are. And in some cases you take a job because you just need the paycheck, because you need to pay rent. That's fine. And sometimes we need those intermediate jobs that aren't the ideal job, but it doesn't say who you are. So that was kind of my biblical lens through which I encourage you to think about the job search. So the agenda, we're going to talk about CVs and resumes, the cover letter, which usually accompanies the resume, what I call a job search campaign, how you go about doing this, 
and then finally interviewing. So we're going to cover these four topics and hopefully get it done in one lesson. So the resume. Is the objective of the resume to tell your entire life story? No. It's not. Because first of all, you couldn't tell your entire life story. Um, it'd be too long or you'd forget stuff. The goal is to get the call back, to get that first foot in the door, the first interview. It's not to tell the entire life story. And it's to avoid the resume or the email going into the trash can or being deleted. Right? That's the goal, is to catch the attention, is to be the hook. You're not trying to establish a, you know, everything you've ever done forever and ever. Particularly if you're early in life, early in career, you haven't done that much career-wise yet. So <laughs> tone it down, right? Don't try and explain everything you've done in you know, four pages. You don't have four pages worth of stuff yet, right? Um, so the typical lifespan of a resume, the way I look at resumes, and I get a lot of them, a resume lasts less than 10 seconds in my hands. That's how short it is before I decide to do something with it. Right? So consider the amount of time you're going to put into your resume versus how long it's going to actually be in, in front of someone's eyes, how long they're, what patience they will have with a resume. What I do is I take a resume and I scan. I look at the name. I look at their current title, current job, current company very quickly. I don't look at the other ones. I just look, what are they doing right now? I look at where they went to school, and I look if they have a funky hobby, like, you know, cello playing while skydiving. <laughs> like something that's like, ooh, wow, that's cool, right? Versus, oh, I'm into, you know, I'm into travel. Well, okay, big whoop. Are you into travel, but I've been to 75 countries. Oh, okay. They're like a serious traveler, you know? Um, or I'm a Michelin star chef apprentice, whatever. I mean, something that stands out. That's how I scan a resume. I do it in 10 seconds. And I decide right there and then what I'm going to do with it. Do I hit delete? Do I forward it to HR? Do I forward it to some hiring manager? Within 30 seconds of getting it, I have already decided how I'm going to dispose of it. And I may be a little brutal, but trust me, I think most people just don't have the patience to spend more time. Once they've decided, oh, this is a great resume, yes, they'll spend more time later, but they decide very quickly to branch you off, right? And what might, people might do, I know I do this, is I might go to LinkedIn and just double check. Is their resume and LinkedIn, are they absolutely in sync? And who do we have in common, right? If they say they know me from so-and-so, I'm going to go double check, right? Does their resume and LinkedIn have the same exact company, same exact roles, or is there some discrepancy? So that's kind of my way to audit things. And before I go into an interview, either for myself or I'm interviewing somebody, as I walk in, I'm checking the LinkedIn, just to double check. Right? And we'll talk about synchronizing LinkedIn in your resume. So some resume tips. My suggestion is keep it to two pages maximum, right? Beyond that, you're writing a novel. It's not War and Peace. It's not the Odyssey. It's not the Iliad, right? The goal is not to tell everything. That's what the interview is for, to start to talk about the details. Um, if you haven't yet done much, don't make it look like you've done a ton, right? Under the age of 30, you don't have four pages worth of resume. You just don't, right? So two pages maximum. And if you're going to spill over to a second page, Fill it. Don't make it second page is just like the top paragraph. Then that's kind of like, well, can't you format it better? Condense it? Like, make it stick to one page. If you're going to use two pages, use two full pages. And don't just make the font bigger and the margin smaller. Right? Page layout is important. Right? Show that you know how to use the real estate you have with you know, the Word document. Be truthful. Right? Don't put stuff in there that you haven't done. Right? Make sure that you can back it up. Because they're going to call references if they're smart. Right? They're going to call and say, well, did they really work, do this job? And they say, no, we've never heard of this person before. Or no, actually, they got fired and they never did this or that. It's just 
you're going to get called out. So make sure what is in there is truthful. Right now, you can can you bend on the dates, etc. Do you put the exact month or you just put years? You can. That's fine. But don't exaggerate to the point of lying because you will get caught at some point. And that's you know resume lying. A lot of people have that. They put on fake diplomas. You've you've seen countless people get caught. They said they got you know some PhD from whatever university, and then they're like, no, we've they never actually they had an honorable uh, honorary degree, which is not the same thing, right? So make sure you can back it up, and make sure your references can back it up because they will call. For me, the, the resume, the, the key message is make it stand out, make it pop, and I'll give you some examples of how I think you can do that. Because if your resume is a generic black and white Times Roman 14 resume, it's boring. It will last less than 10 seconds. It's one more resume that you get. Doesn't mean you go crazy with the fonts, but your resume kind of has to pop. So use color logos. It's something that I recommend is add some color. Right? If you've been with cool companies or went to an interesting university or speak funky languages or whatever, put some logos. In France, you actually have to put a picture, which is interesting, um, and your marital status and your driver's license status, which is really funny. That's the French way. And your cover letter has to be handwritten because they actually do um, graphology tests. That's the French way. Here, you don't put a picture. Right? They can find your picture on LinkedIn. By the way, make sure you have a profile picture that looks professional. It's not your Facebook selfie. It's not you drunk at some party. It's not a Halloween costume. LinkedIn is professional. So make sure LinkedIn, you don't have to look like overdressed with a suit and tie, although why not? But make sure the LinkedIn profile picture is not your Facebook or Instagram or something that's embarrassing. Make it look professional, right? For the job. So use color logos, add color, add elements, graphic elements that make the resume at least stand out for the first 10 seconds. Because Times Romans 14 is the most boring thing to look at. It's like, okay, here's another one, right? So try an original font. Try something a little bit different, right? Now, don't do like super cursive, crazy ones or zap the bats where you can't even read it. Um, but try some fonts that might just stand out a little bit, right? Fewer words, right? If it, if it overspills to the second page, we don't have a paragraph, you can probably condense the first page, right? Don't write long paragraphs. Nobody reads long paragraphs on a resume. Right? It's bullet points. And choose either you're going to put full sentences, grammatically correct sentences, or put you know, no verbs, no actions. Just put you know, facts. But choose and be consistent throughout the resume. Don't mix and match. I did this, 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 and then the next one is like a non-sentence with no grammar in it. So pick one formula, and depending on how much space you have, and in some cases, not putting full sentences is more condensed. Therefore, you can save space and save words. Fewer words means you can have a larger font, you can have more space in the resume and make it look visually more compelling. If it's too dense, they don't read it. Right? Something that's too dense literally will just be cast aside. Bullet points. So actually put bullet points and not just little hyphens, put little dots, put, I mean, not you know, fancy frou-frou things like little flowers, but put something that at least structures the resume so it's easy for the eye to catch, oh, here are the three things they did. Right? Don't use the same word or verb or whatever. Use a thesaurus, right? So if it's an action word, find an equivalent that isn't you know, medieval English. Find something that you know, is just compelling, a different, a different compelling way to say the same thing, right? So use a thesaurus. Word has one of those. You, you right-click on it, and it'll give you like five other ways of saying it. And then assume that your resume will be in a PDF format, Right? That's the way I recommend you sending it out. 
Don't send out a Word document, send out a PDF, because that way you know that it'll print out consistently on a Mac, on a PC, it'll look the same on an iPad or an iPhone or whatever they're using. A PDF also allows you to be rather creative, right? Word, you never know how the stuff's going to format, where it's going to end up. So you build it in Word or Pages or whatever you want to use, or Google Docs, but then produce a PDF and then print it out and make sure it comes out impeccably. But PDFs are very good graphically because they retain fonts, they retain graphics, colors, et cetera. So that's kind of the best format and they open consistently on every platform. So when you read all this, what does it sound like? It sounds like an ad, good old print magazine ad or a digital ad, but that's what it is. The resume is your one page or two page ad, right? If you think of the ads that catch your attention in a magazine, they don't have too much lingo. They have some compelling visual. They have some easy to read value proposition. You know who the brand is. You can identify with it pretty quickly. And you do that in two seconds. That's the power of a brand. Well, yours is similar. It's an ad for you that works in less than 10 seconds. And think of that through that lens. How do you advertise yourself that quickly without being, you know, without having all the legal disclaimers that all the medical stuff has? You know, this may cause, you know, so and so, you know, headaches and whatever. Make sure it's not that dense, right? But it's a one page ad for who you are. So I'm going to give some examples here. Um, this is actually my resume way back when in the 90s. Okay, It was four pages long. I put every little detail in there. I, and I was like, well, that's not going to work because nobody's going to read it. That, but that was my original resume. And I had been working, I think, at two companies. I think I'd been at Apple and an HP by then. And I put everything, everything I'd ever done and all the details and all the numbers, all the metrics, et cetera. Now my resume is one page. And I've been working for 33 years. And it fits on one page. Now, I do have a couple other pages. If somebody wants a lot more detail, I have that. But what I send out is this. That should catch their attention. They should be able to say, I know who he is. There's a one, um, we'll talk about the, the one-liner kind of headline. I look at the companies. They don't have to read the name of the company. They just look at the logos. They'll know. They'll know the schools I went to. And they might look at hobbies and say, oh, yeah, he's you know, this, that, and the other. By the way, I put church stuff in hobbies and other miscellaneous, how, you know, how active you are in church, what church you go to, what you do at church. If you're a musician at church, if you sing at church, if you are you know, active in Bible studies, whatever, put it in there. Don't be ashamed of your Christianity. On the contrary, you'll, you'll be surprised how often that comes up. Say, oh yeah, you went to so-and-so church or tell me more about your church. Or uh, you will find you know, closet Christians out there that uh, I, it's happened to me more often than not. And I, I believe that you actually get... I don't know if it's a, not the benefit of the doubt, but you get maybe a more positive inclination if another Christian brother or sister is there interviewing, they will give you just that little edge out of, I don't know, Christian solidarity, whatever you want to call it. But there's something, I've noticed it. When I put it in there, it comes up in the conversation. It's like, oh, tell me about your church. Oh, I remember that church. I know that church. All right, tell me more about your church. So don't hesitate to put that in the, you can put hobbies or other or miscellaneous or extracurricular, whatever you want to put. All right, that's one example. I'll show you another example. Kind of boring, black and white, not that exciting. This is actually one of our church members. I tried to blur it, so you know, protect the innocent, but um, you'll recognize who it is. Um, this is Destiny's, right? Completely changed. We worked on this together. Logos, you know, different layout, et cetera, just a lot more compelling. I'm not saying this directly led to her getting her job, but if you have the two resumes to look at, which one do you throw away within five seconds? Which one do you actually say, oh, let me look at it? 
Right? I'll give you another example. This was one of those two pagers where the second page is not fully utilized. It's like, well, that's useless. Do something about it. There's the new version. That's Jaren's. It's got color. It's got logos using the full two pages. Right? Just some examples of before and after. This is the kind of stuff I've worked on with people. So that's my encouragement to you is, and I know I've worked on some of this also with, with other folks, uh, with Josh. You know, send me your resumes. I'll critique them. I'll rip them apart. We'll work on them together. You'll send me new versions. Um, I'll help you with that kind of stuff. And this is my formula. You may have a better formula. I'm just saying what I think works, what, the way I look at a resume. And I love the before and after. And then you can maintain this format for years to come. Or you can change it five years from now if you have some, a different view on it. Change the colors. Change the fonts. Yep. That's a very that's a very good point. Um, you you want to be somewhat um, consistent with the industry or the job type you're going for. So if you're in finance, you probably don't need the uber creative, but I would argue in finance you probably don't want just Times Roman 14, right? So you can put you know splotches of color. You can put logos, right? Especially if they're well known. Um, so there's a balance to strike. If you're going for the very creative, you're the freelance whatever video person or musician artist Broadway. Yes. You definitely go heavier on the creative side. Um, if you're in the, a more um, conservative profession, like finance or accounting, um, yeah, you don't want to don't want to go crazy. But there's a there's a you know a little crazy is not bad, just to stand out, right? And they're looking for somehow your personality to shine through the way the resume comes through, right? And ultimately, remember the goal of the resume is not necessarily to tell the whole life story; it's just to get the call back enough craziness to get the call, right? To stand out from the pile of other Times Romans 14, you know, finance resumes that are there. If yours has a little pizzazz to it, hmm, okay. They may say, well, oh, this one caught my attention. Let's, I'll spend another 30 seconds reading through it and say, oh yeah, I'll put them in the let's call these people back pile or let me send this to HR or let me send it to my CFO who's looking for a new accountant or, you know, planning and analysis person. So, in terms of sections that should be in the resume, and this, you know, we can take some, get rid of some, but on top, obviously, your name and your contact info, right? And there are ways to optimize that. Don't make that like a third of the page, right? They're, your name, address, phone number, email, you're good to go. You don't need everything else, but that should be relatively dense on top. Um, I suggest the headline, a one-line headline, like you would see in an ad, like you'd see in a news article, what are you about? Either the job you have or what the career you aspire to or the type of job you're looking for. Have a one-liner and make it a bigger font. So they see your name and they immediately say, oh, this person wants to be whatever or they're a outstanding world-class something. Right? Say who you are, say what you want to be in a very concise one line. But that way that you've already answered two questions. Your name from that, they can guess a few things. They can guess, well, usually they can guess your gender, um, although these days you never know. Um, but they can, they can guess maybe a nationality. I mean, there are things that you gather immediately from someone's name. And then the headline tells them they are appropriate for the job that I'm hiring for. Right? If you're applying for a finance job and your thing says, you know, Broadway performer, eh, probably not going <laughs> to work. Right? 
Or it can be generic. You're going for a career, a job that you've never done before, but you put characteristics. Hardworking, reliable, da-da-da-da-da. Right? You just kind of say, what's your value proposition? What's your one-line thing? And make that dense and impactful because they're going to read that. They're not going to read anything else. You can put a whole paragraph that explains why you're really good this that. Nobody reads that. They'll read it later, but they just want the headline. So you can, I can help you work on what does that headline, how do you get that impactful headline, like a journalist does. Right? They're trying to get your attention so you read the rest of the article. Right? They're not trying to tell you the entire story in that one line. You can put an executive summary. So the two to three line, kind of here's a little bit more about me, that can be useful. You can put that in the cover letter. Depends on how much space. That can be a filler. If you need to add a little bit more because you don't have enough, you can put that two to three line thing saying, I've done this through my career. I've always aspired to do this in my career. But keep it short and sweet. Um, and here again, the font has to be big enough so it's easy to read. But don't tell, don't explain your entire resume in like the you know five to ten lines when the rest of the resume is right there. Right? So it's a it's kind of a double click on the headline. Right? It's the executive summary. Like if you read the front page of a newspaper, you've got the headline and maybe a little summary. It says go on page twenty eight for the full article. But it'll give you the the three or four line. Here's what that what this article is going to be about. You always start with job history in reverse chronological order. So the current job you have, and you work all the way back to the first job you had. Right? Over time, when your resume gets a little too crowded and you have jobs that were either very short stints or ones that are irrelevant to whatever career you're going after, you take them out. Right? I've taken out a couple jobs that were literally just you know, three, four months or whatever. You start really condensing things over time. At the beginning, you probably want to put all of them, but over the span of your life, you don't keep adding and adding. You start ripping some out, and some of them just become a, become a one line. Your first job ever, like... You know, that you did, that one probably either goes or becomes a, a very simple one-liner. Education and diplomas. So where'd you go to school? What degrees did you get? What honorary degrees? What extra certifications? If you did a two-week whatever class on this or you got certified in some IT thing or whatever, or awards, you put that in there and you put logos. People will recognize logos of universities. They'll recognize a diploma or put a, uh, a mortarboard cap, you know, the education cap, you know, that people wear at graduation. Yeah, Emma. I have a random question. Yep. Um, if you're early in your career, yes, you can. Um, and especially if you've got good grades. It's, if it's a well-known high school, um, it may just show where you grew up. But at some point, you take it out, right? High school is irrelevant um, at some point. Um, so you're, usually it's, you know, undergrad and above. Um, but if you have an outstanding, you know, you took a bunch of AP exams, you got an outstanding GPA, unbelievable SAT scores, yeah, you can put that to a little boastful, but at least it shows academically that you, you're on solid ground. Yeah. But at some point, you take it out. Yeah. I'd say after the first job. So literally, you get your first job, and you can probably take out the high school stuff. Unless, so unless you have, I don't know if you're a military kid or a, a missionary kid, and you've literally traveled around the world, and you've gone to 15 different schools in some funky places, that I would put, because that stands out. That's like, ooh, this person you know, went to high school in the Philippines, in Japan, in South Africa, in Peru. That's cool, Right? That I would put, because then all of a sudden, like, okay, you have a life experience that sets you apart. Yeah. Yeah, if you went to something that, that is truly different than your normal high school, yeah. yeah. Now, if you have some, 
either academic or athletic achievements in high school, like you were All-American whatever or state champion whatever, or you got some um, spelling bee whatever or math Olympiads or whatever, you put that in there. Definitely. Those are academic things like that you put in there. But if it's just, I went to high school, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, IT skills. So if you have specific IT skills, put them in there. If you know how to use Microsoft Office, don't bother. That's table stakes. Everybody knows how to use Microsoft Office. And if you don't, you won't get the job. Unless the job doesn't require it. But everyone knows how to use Office or Google Suite, whatever, right? Don't put that in there. It's a waste, right? Everyone knows what Word is, right? Everybody knows PowerPoint. Yeah, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, like table stakes. If you don't know them, trust me, go, go learn them quickly because you're going to need, in any job, you will need some basic IT skill. Don't put like email. I'm really good at email. No, you aren't. Everyone's good at email, right? I'm really good at Instagram. I post a lot. No, that's, you know. So put IT skills that like, hey, I'm an SQL database, you know, wizard. I know how to do, you know, um, search engine optimization using Google Analytics. Yeah, put that stuff. Take out the generic table stakes that everyone knows how to use. You know, you can say, I know how to use an iPhone and Android. It's like, who cares, right? If you can program an iPhone and program Android, yes. But if you just know how to use them, doesn't matter. Yes, so Adobe, the creative suites, if, if there are things that you are really good at, yes. But that's a specific, like, graphic artist, yes. If you know the Adobe suite, put it in there. Right? If you know how to program in a programming language, put it in there. I'm a Python, C++, whatever, put it in there. Right? Languages. So if you speak multiple languages and really speak them, right, because they're going to test you, um, put them in there. I always recommend put a little flag. Right? If you speak French or Spanish or Portuguese or Italian or German or what or Russian, put a little flag because that way it pops out. Now make sure you can back it up because nine times out of ten, the person across the table knows one of those languages and they will switch into the other language and test you. And if you literally can't blurt out one consistent sentence in that other language, the entire resume gets undermined in terms of its credibility. And I've seen that happen. When somebody says fluent in French and I switch into French and they're like, huh? Like fromage. Um, <laughs> so be careful because you will get called out, right? Somebody you interview will know that language. Skills, honors, certifications, trainings. If you've got something like a I don't know, scuba license, you're a skydiving instructor, you've gotten a bunch of honors. So we talked about the, the math Olympiads or the whatevers. Put it in there, right? If you got honored or got a certificate of something, you got a two-week training, even if it's an online self-certification class you did with Google or whoever, put it in there if it's relevant to the job, right? And it's actually something that academically has some weight to it, right? Or, and if you went, to, I mean, maybe it's irrelevant to your job, but you got, you went to Coldon Bleu cooking school and you graduated, you, and you, you took like a, a two-year stint learning how to cook French cuisine, put it in there, Right? Anything that you accomplish that has like a diploma, uh, a little medal or whatever, or a trophy, something, put it in there. Because it's a conversation piece. It just shows that you're focused on getting results, focused on developing yourself. Hobbies. So put in interesting ones. Don't just say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm into, I write in my diary. Well, okay, better be really interesting. Like Anne Frank's diary. Better be like <laughs> really, really compelling stuff. Um, you know, if you've got kids your church stuff, your extracurricular activities, what sports you're really into, right? Put those things in there. 
What do you do in your spare time? And be able to back that up. Say you're into marathon running or whatever. Jazz, you know, playing, whatever it is. Put it in there, right? Don't put your references on the resume and don't put the word references upon request. That just bugs me. That's like so obvious. Yes, if I need a reference, I will call you and ask you for your references. Don't tell me references upon request. It's like, yes. Right? That's a, literally a waste of a line. And that, that just shows no, I don't know, filters. Like, take it out. If I need a reference, I'll ask you for the references. And then make sure that when you give the references, you've called your references ahead of time. Right? You said, hey, Billy Bob, I'm applying for this job. Here's my resume. Here's the job description. Susie from HR is going to call you. Can you, you know, put in a good word for me? And here's what I'd like you to say. And here's something, you know, basically you coach them. When I'm asked to be a reference, I like to be coached. If I'm literally, I get the call and said, Bob said we could call you for a reference. I'm like, who's Bob? What's the job? And I, if I don't know, you don't get a good reference. So give the courtesy heads up to any reference you're going to ask. Give them at least 24 hours before you know they're going to get the call. And give them the resume in case they haven't like, kept up with what you've done. Tell them what the job's about. Tell them the skills that you think you would like them to put forward and say, hey, this guy's really good at this skill. Right? And if you, know, you might want to coach them because they're inevitably going to be asked, what's their weak spot? Tell your reference what your weak spot is. Right? Tell them the one you'd like them to point out. Not a random one that they'll make up and all of a sudden undermines you and you're like, Away, you stabbed me in the back, right? So coach your references. Always give them a heads up, right? And if the reference, if you know that reference or you suspect that reference may not be a good reference, um, don't use them as a reference, right? A bad reference will kill the job. Okay, make sure your LinkedIn profile matches 100%. Keep them update, updated. Both of them have to be exactly the same. You change jobs, you change resume and the LinkedIn profile. No spelling mistakes, please. Yep. Sorry, Josh. Yeah. Uh, to that last point, so I'm applying for a couple different industries. Mm -hmm. um, so one, I want to go for a manager and so I will take them to that and then we'll go for an investment or something. So I don't know. How, how would you recommend kind of making that match my LinkedIn when there are two very different? Yeah. So, so LinkedIn will, has to be generic because you don't have multiple profiles. I mean, you can have different language profiles. Like you can have a French one or an English one. But yeah, you just have one generic profile. So I would put it either in the headline or in that executive summary paragraph. I would try and be as versatile as possible there, um, knowing that people aren't, they're going to read the resume. So you can customize the resume, mainly the headline and the little paragraph. Everything else you leave generic. Whatever is generic needs to match. And then you can customize that little part. Yeah. But yeah, LinkedIn is static, right? It's just, and you don't change it every time you're looking for a job. Right? That's true. Proofread. There is no excuse for spelling mistakes or grammatical mistakes, right? Have somebody else look at it, spell check, grammar check. Do not have a spelling mistake in your resume or on LinkedIn, please. I mean, that's a big turnoff, right? That's inexcusable in this day and age to have a spelling mistake, right? So print it out, literally. What I do is I print it out and I read it. I'll sometimes give it to Jennifer just with a red pen and just literally just, sometimes it's better on a piece of paper, on the screen, sometimes you'll just kind of gloss over stuff and you won't catch the grammatical mistake or the, the spelling mistake. Just avoid that. Because it, literally, if I see a spelling mistake, I will circle it in red and just show it to the candidate in the middle of the thing. Just say, dude, come on. It's embarrassing, but it's like, come on. Come prepared. Right? And that's like table stakes. That's basic hygiene. 
Okay, um, do it in Word or Google Docs, whatever, but convert it to PDF, right? And then you have it locked in as PDF. Nobody can mess with it. That's your document, right? And then you update the PDF. You update the Word document, print out a new PDF every time, and then you just have that one document. Have it on your computer. Have it on your phone. Have it on out in the cloud. Have it available at all point at all times. Keep it up to date. If you change jobs, change the resume, right? Don't wait three jobs in. It's like, oops, I haven't updated my resume in five years. Change every time. Or if you have some new thing to add, or if you're tired of your old format, change it. Yeah, that's a, a weekend's worth of work. But once you get into that habit, it's just updating a few things. Okay, we've covered resume. Let's go to cover letter. Keep it short and sweet. Right? Again, you're not trying to duplicate what the resume says. You're not trying to tell your entire life story. The goal of the cover letter is for them to actually open the resume that's attached. Right? To think of what's the objective. The objective is the email to get the attention, not to go to junk, not to go to spam, for them to look at it, open it, literally glance sideways at what you wrote, double-click in the resume, look at the resume for 10 seconds and say, yep, that's not going to the garbage pile. So keep the, that letter short and sweet. The objective, the objective is to get them to call you. That's the only reason you put a cover letter. It's kind of the wrapper around the resume. It just says, please open my resume. Essentially, that's the message you're saying. Please, please, please don't delete this. Two paragraphs maximum and not like 15 line paragraphs, right? It's like three or four lines, three or four lines. Thank you. Look forward to the next steps. I will call you, whatever it is, the call to action. And then you attach the resume, right? And always have a follow-up action. If you send it out and don't say, I will call you next week, or I look forward to hearing back from you, or shall we schedule a time, put some action that gives you the power to then call them back a week later if they haven't responded. So a week later you say, oh, I sent you my resume, not sure if you got it, not sure it got caught up in the thing. Um, I suggest that we get together on the phone or do a Zoom or grab coffee. I'm following up on that. All right, so put an action item. If you just send out the resume and say, I'd like the job, thank you you didn't put the little hook that gives you the authorization, the permission to follow up and bug them. Not the next day, but you know, a few days later. By the end of the week, hey, I haven't heard from you, just want to make sure you got this. You know, I suggest that we get together on a Zoom call or grab coffee. Don't over-engineer this stuff. Change the intro line. It does kind of a hook, like, oh, so-and-so suggested I get in touch with you. Or, hey, we have this person in common. Hey, we went to the same school. Or, hey, I noticed you have this job opening. Right? And customize very little. The rest is generic. Right? And this is for efficiency and speed. You're also not trying to customize it to every single little job. Now, to Josh's point, if you have two different kind of job searches, yes, you have two different cover letters. But that's it. You don't have 20. You've got one or two. Maybe three if you have three different avenues you're pursuing. Right? But keep it simple. Keep it simple so that the efficiency is you've got a standard resume, a cookie cutter cover letter that you change one line and you blast it out because we'll get to the campaign thing in a moment. So when I, for example, send it to recruiters, headhunters, I say there are basically five big firms around the world. Hydricon Struggles, Russell Reynolds, Spencer Stewart, Corn Ferry, Egon Zender. Those are the five big recruiting firms, executive recruiting firms in the world. And I literally just do copy paste. I say, oh, it's been a while since we've been t- I've been in touch with the people at Egon Zender. No, and I just replace Egon Zender with Spencer Stewart and the other names of the firms. Copy paste. Because the rest is exactly the same. Right? So for, out of efficiency, don't over-engineer, don't torture yourself saying, oh, I've got to change this. Ch- it should take you 10 seconds to change the cover letter for the next batch that you're going to send out. And use a hook. That first line to be, who introduced you? Why are you calling? Why do you deserve special treatment? Right? So find that hook. 
hey, we went to the same school. And I figured I'd tap into the alumni network. Or Billy Bob suggests that I reach out to you directly. I've, loaned, I've known Billy Bob forever. Or I've worked for Billy Bob and whatever. So have a, have a hook or an anecdote. You know, I saw you last week at this conference. I wanted to follow up. Right? I got your business card. Whatever, whatever the thing is, find that hook. So at least they jogs their memory and say, okay, I know the connection. Yep, Josh. No, so if you don't have a hook, then it's just the generic, hey, I'm, I'm you know, looking for a new job, or I noticed you had this job posting, or I wanted to make a change in my career. That can be your generic opening. Um, you know, the, the likelihood of that working, um, lower, obviously, and you have to put something. <laughs> um, but if you've got a hook, an anecdote, a connection, and it's personal, I'd put it in there. So that was cover letter. And I, if you guys want to see an example of cover letters, I've, I've worked on those for a number of people here in the congregation. Um, but I can send you what I suggest the cover letter should look like. The job search campaign. So for me, it's a campaign because it's a direct marketing campaign, right? A direct mail campaign where you send out thousands and thousands of mailers and flyers and emails. A job search, in my mind, needs to be that. And it needs to be that for statistical reasons. And I'll, I'll share with you that it's a full-blown campaign. If you send out one resume here, one resume there, it will not work. I mean, unless you're ridiculously lucky, but it will not work. It's statistics. You have to send out a lot of resumes. It's volume of stuff and statistics of, you know, how many people will actually open it, how people will delete it, how many people actually have a job for you, and how many candidates there are. So it's all statistics, right? It's a marketing campaign. And in a marketing campaign, if you have 1% people actually open your email, that's a good campaign. That's actually a successful marketing campaign. Anything like 0.5 to 1% open rate on an email is incredible. Click-through of like 0.1, 0.05 is like, ooh, that's really good. But email doesn't cost anything, but you're looking for statistics. Therefore, you have to cast a very wide net. How many resumes you send out, how many people you send out to, you kind of, what I call spray and pray. You, you send it out to a lot of people because you don't need 10 jobs. You need one job. But to get that one job, you need to cast out a very, very broad net of resumes. Therefore, get prepared for this high rejection rate. So to my earlier biblical point, just because you get rejected or don't get an answer is not a reflection on you. doesn't mean you're a bad person, that you're unemployable, yada, yada, yada. No, you're a great person, right? God has a plan here. Right? Just because you don't get a response or they say, I don't have a job, it, that does not say that you're a bad person, right? So get used to rejection. And at least rejection, if somebody says, no, we don't have a job, thank you very much, well, at least you know you've got an answer, right? That's better than not having an answer at all. Create what I call a database. You can do that in Excel. You can do that in an actual database. Create something to track where you're sending out your resume. Right? Otherwise, you will lose track, right? So start tracking who you sent it to, on what date, what the connection was, put it in Excel with different columns, do something, right? But if you don't have a structure, First of all, you won't be able to keep track of it. Secondly, the next time you look for a job, you're going to start from scratch. Don't start from scratch. I have the same database since 1997, before most of you were born. Same database. It has thousands of contacts. Every single recruiter I've ever talked to, every venture capital person, every private equity person, every interview I've done, every job offer I've had, it's in there with their email, even fax numbers, because those existed back then. And it's the same database. And I maintain it for whatever number of years that is now. So start with the companies you'd like to work for, right? That's always a great place to start. Oh, I'd love to work for this company or that company or this type of industry. 
right? And you go to their websites, you look at what connections you might have on LinkedIn or people you know who work there. That's the best place to start. I'd like to work for Apple, Nike, whoever, right? Then you look at what types of jobs are you looking for, right? So what are you good at or what do you aspire to be? And think of all the industries that have that, like finance. Every company has a finance department. Every company has an HR department. Every company has a marketing department, right? You may not have experience in that industry, but you're a professional at whatever it is, right? Look at who the alumni are from your college, right? That's an incredible database. Every college has a database of the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have graduated, and they're usually in interesting places around the industry, So go into that database, tap into the alumni organization at your school and get access to the database, ask them to pull a report on who's in finance, who's in Broadway, who's in whatever, right? And find those connections. Because there's something that tugs at your heart when an alumni pings you and says, hey, I graduated class of whatever. I noticed your class of, you know, 20 years ago. I'm looking for this. I respond with a lot more um, skip in my, in, my, in my step when it's somebody from a school I've been to, right? And if it's somebody from a rival school, I probably will delete it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm somewhat kidding. Um, I'll give them a hard time during the interview. So, oh, you went to the second school. Yeah, you didn't go to the best school. Um, sorry, use the alumni, right? Former bosses, former colleagues. You're going to keep track of people. Have them not just on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. Have them on LinkedIn so you can go tap into them. And then use LinkedIn connections. Reach out. If you're going for a specific company, go type in the name of the company. Find out who's the head of HR, who's the head of global talent, who's the head of recruiting, who's the general manager of this division, who's the decider, who's the person who has the job open. And connect with them on LinkedIn. Or find their email. Right. And one, one little tip is you can hack emails. Right? You find out what a company's protocol is. Is it first initial dot last name at xyzcompany.com? Is it first name underscore last name at xyzcompany.com? Find what their email protocol is. And you can guess. And if you don't get it the first time, try a different one. I get into people's emails by guessing the email. And that's fair. Right? Sometimes it's on their LinkedIn profile. Sometimes you just have to go to the company's website and see, especially in the about us or the career section, You'll find out, like the head of PR, there's public relations, you'll see what their email protocol is, and you can guess who the CEO. If you know the CEO's name, you can probably guess their email. And it'll work. And it may, the CEO may not open it, but the CEO's executive assistant very often will, and will forward it to HR, and boom, you're in. Right? I know Matthew sent, uh, there was a, a Tufts alum, uh, Jamie Diamond, who's the CEO of um, uh, Chase, right? JP, uh, JP Morgan Chase, right? one of the biggest banks in the world. He's a Tufts alum, so same school as Matthew. And Matthew guessed his email, sent it to him. The assistant sent it to HR, and he got the call back. Jamie Dimon never opened that email. Right? He doesn't have time for that. But his assistant did. And because he put in the little word Tufts and he guessed the email, it got through. So use that stuff. Watch the movie Wall Street with Charlie uh, Sheen and how he gets into Gordon Gecko's office. Um, he insists. And you have to use that too. And then your campaign, you segment it. So segmenting means you do it in chunks, right? And you start off with your first wave of emails is going to be all the companies that you've identified. So in your Excel database, here are all the companies that I want to go after. 
and you spend a bunch of time going after those companies with your cover letter and your resume. Then you do the specific types of jobs or roles that you're going after, and you find all the companies that have those jobs and roles. Then you go after recruiters. If you know recruiters or get in touch with recruiters or find them on LinkedIn, you ping all the recruiters because they will do the legwork for you. Their goal is to place you to fill a job so they get paid by the recruiting company. Your alumni. So you do this in chunks. You don't do it randomly. You do it in waves and phases. And pick one. And the theme of this week is I'm going to go after all the companies that I want to go work for. And next week I'm going to do etc. So you structure this. So statistics. Why did I talk about this? If you send out 100 resumes, right? statistically, 90 of them will end up in the trash or in junk. So they're lost. 10 of them actually make it through to someone's inbox. Five of them will delete them. Five will open. Three of them will actually open and read. Two will actually have a job that's relevant and will interview you and one of them will offer you a job. One out of 100. How many jobs do you need? One. So to get the odds on your side, do this. Send out 200 emails. And guess what happens? You go all the way through, and you have two job offers. You're in control. You get to pick. Have 400 emails. You have four job offers. You get to be really picky. You can play one job against another. And I'm not kidding. That is how it works. Change the balance of power. Oh, I have this other offer. Um, you know, I'm really tempted by that, but I, you know, I really want to work for your company, but you got to match the salary or the benefits or the sign-on bonus or whatever. Shift the balance of power. But it's all because you've sent out a lot more resumes. Right? If you send out five resumes, you will not get a job. If you send out 100, it's one out of 100. You might be lucky. Send out 400, you'll have four job offers. And then you get to pick. So that means during a week, you send out 20 to 25 resumes a day. And I'm not kidding. And if you work with me, I will ping you and ask you, how many did you send yesterday? And if you send out 15, I'll say, well, you got 10 more to send today. I'll bug you. I'll hold you to that. Right? You have to hold yourself to that level of email campaign. You do it five days a week. If you can do it over the weekend, great. Right? The sooner you get to that volume of stuff out there, the better off you'll be. You do that for an entire month. You do that three months in a row until you actually get a job. A campaign should take you about three months. In this job market, it might be a lot shorter, just given how hot the market is. But my experience is it'll take you about three months from kind of starting to send the first email to getting a job and starting. And then as you send out emails, track them, follow up. Don't do it 24 hours later, but by the end of the week or early the following week, say, hey, I sent you an email, haven't heard back, would like to follow up. It shows resilience, tenacity, stick to it in this. And sometimes the email just got lost. And if you get back to the top of their inbox, they'll say, okay, at least this wasn't you know, just a, an email spam campaign. This person's actually passionate about trying to get a job here. So if we do follow up, but you have to track it. You have to have a database to say, I emailed so-and-so company, you know, Susie in HR a week ago, and you check through your database. Oh, it was a week ago. I'm going to send her a reminder. Okay, last thing, interview. And almost on time. Interviewing. Please rehearse. Don't wing it. Don't go in having never rehearsed an interview. And I'll give you some pointers as to how to do that. But it's a show, right? This is an audition. And it's not Broadway, although you can audition for Broadway, but it's, it's an interview, right? You're performing. Know your 15-second elevator pitch, right? If you run into someone in the hallway, if the person just says, hey, what are you about? Have the 15-second version, and have it down pat, like know it. 
right? And don't go kind of, blah, 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 I don't know, you know, it's like, no, you better know, what do you stand for? In 15 seconds, you better have that, right? Have a two-minute introduction ready to go. Because they may say, they may, most people come into an interview with a the resume, they just came out of a business meeting, they just, you know, they're, they're not, their mindset is not, ooh, I'm prepared to interview this person. No, they're coming in saying, okay, I got to interview someone, right? Put yourself in their shoes. So have the two-minute ice-breaking, I can tell you my story in two minutes, I recommend that you record yourself. We all have phones, you can record yourself and then catch yourself, you know, doing this, whatever, putting your, and saying, um, uh, uh, well, catch yourself, right? And watch it, you'll laugh out loud, first of all, because you'll see how bad you are at it the first time. Um, And then you'll say, well, I better stop doing that, okay? Because that in an interview is a real turnoff. And then do a dress rehearsal in front of somebody you trust actually do it in front of a human being, not just the video, but do it in front of a sibling, you know, a partner, friend, somebody who will critique you. But there's something about being across the table and simulating role-playing that is very healthy. Because you'll realize you get nervous, even though it may be a friend, a trusted person, you'll get nervous. Well, get over that, right? And the only way to get over it is by doing it and repeating and getting your shtick down quickly. So the interview itself, get there early, but not too early. Don't show up like 45 minutes early and then you're just kind of hanging out in the lobby, right? And they'll be like, why'd you show up so early? So get there early enough, mainly so you can cool off because if you have to take the subway in New York, you're going to get there and you're going to be sweating, right? So you want to get there and cool off, go to the bathroom, freshen up, don't have bad breath, get a mint, seriously. Um, Check for poppy seeds and spinach in your teeth, and I'm not kidding, that's just, but it happens, right? If you just had a bagel, Come on. I mean, so just get there early enough, like 10 minutes, make sure you look the part. Straighten the tie. Make sure you don't have some bird that pooped on you. I mean, I mean this, and this stuff happens. So please, you know, give yourself that little time to cool off. Catch your breath. You, know, you missed the subway, et cetera. Bring hard copies of your resume. All right, don't just show up empty-handed. Bring at least a few copies because you never know. At the end of the interview, they say, hey, I'd like you to meet Joe. Well, you better have a second copy for Joe. Right, if they've already taken your first copy. Look professional, so kind of dress the part. Ripped jeans, tie-dye t-shirts, depending on the job, probably not the right attire. Um, so look proper. Um, if offered, ask for water. Don't ask for some funky drink or soda or whatever, because if you spill it, I'm not kidding, if you spill it, soda all over the place and on the carpet, not a good memory. Water, safe, right? Secondly, you hydrate, because your mouth will get really dry, and it allows you to pause, to catch your breath. They ask you a tough question. You're like, okay. And it's, it's a great tool to have there, but don't get the soda because you will spill it. And then the carpet will be in the company carpet forever. And they'll say, that darn candidate. Don't get coffee. Just go for water. Bring a notebook, right, and a pen. If they ask you a question, write down the question or write down your answers as they're asking the question so you have a cheat sheet in front of you. And use that as your anchor, right? Have something to look to, have a pen and say, oh yeah, here are the three bullet points I have to you know, use. Use it as your, your life vest, right? And it keeps your hands busy, you aren't shaking, you have something to look to. And then have your references in your back pocket and give them a heads up. If they ask you it then, hey, who should I call? At least have two or three people. You should have got my old boss here, my former colleague there, and whatever, my professor at this school. 
hopefully Andy's okay. I can go just a little bit longer. Um, please keep all your answers less than 90 seconds. I've seen candidates go off for literally seven minutes and they don't catch their breath and I'm done. I already know they have no self-awareness, right? And it's impolite if you keep going and going and going. So when you record yourself, make sure that you're under 90. 90 seconds is already a long time to be talking nonstop, right? So do not go on and on and on. What you do is after 60 seconds, 90 seconds, you say, hopefully that answered your question. I can go into more details if you'd like. If they want to know more, they'll ask you. But give them, first of all, breathe. Give them the opportunity to say, okay, that was long. Um, and ask, they can say, well, give me some more details on that. Or, hey, that was a great example. Let's move on to something else. Keep it short. And one of the things I've, I've realized is people have no self-awareness. They go on for like five minutes. It's like, that's not the question I asked, but apparently that's your answer. <laughs> Keep it short. Give anecdotes. Make it real. Tell a story. Right? Have some interesting examples of either something that completely failed and what you learned from it or something that you know, was an incredible achievement. Um, put data. Put facts. Hey, I achieved this. Here's a metric that, you know, thanks to my work, happened. Here's the key learning. Hey, I failed here, but what I learned from it was this, right? So make it interesting. Don't just recite, hey, I did this job. Well, so what'd you learn from it, right? Rehearse and train on the classic interview questions. You can go to Google and just say, what are the top 15 questions that people have? And just at least know the answers to those, right? And then have some questions ready, right? Because they're going to ask you, do you have any questions? And if you say no, well, you haven't done your homework, right? So... Have questions ready about the company, about the role, about the leadership style or the culture of the company. And that'll teach you a lot. First of all, to show that you're interested in it, but it'll teach you something. Um, and ask them about career progression potential. Like, hey, I'd love this job, but I, you know, I, I really plan on coming here for a long time. I want to invest in this company. Where does this job lead? Right? What are the next two or three jobs? How do I get your job? You know, type of thing. Those are easy questions, but at least it shows interest and it gets the dialogue going. And my suggestion is at the end to wrap up, don't just leave it like if they say, okay, thank you very much for coming in and you say thank you and you leave, I think you should do one more thing, right? One last thing is ask them about their job and their career at the company. Reverse the power play here. All of a sudden, they're the one, you're interviewing them. And it allows them to show off a little bit. You learn something, right? And the other trick that I do that I recommend is always ask for feedback on your candidacy. At the end, you say, well, tell me, am I, do you think I'm a good fit? How do you think the interview went? Ask them right there and then. Don't wait, because you'll wait either a long time or wait for all the other interviews to happen. Ask that question. It's bold. You'll know exactly where you stand, and if they love you, they will tell you. If they hate you, they'll probably hesitate a little bit, but at least you'll be settled real fast. But it's a great trick. You say, hey, I'd love to get feedback. You know, I love getting feedback real time. How do you think I am a fit for this job? How do you think my skills match up with what you're looking for? And they may say, I'm not sure, et cetera. At least you know. You don't waste your time. You're not fretting and nervous about how did I do. You'll know right there and then. If you, did, if you aced it, you'll know it. So ask that question. I think it's a great question to ask. And it shows you're courageous enough to ask for real-time feedback. Ask for next steps. Okay, when do we meet next? As long as they say, yeah, we loved you. Say, well, who do I meet next? And then thank them. Express strong interest right? That you actually want this job. So show the passion for it. Andy, can I still another few minutes? Okay. I'll send these out. Okay. With that, let me just, I'll just end up right here. Remember, 
do this in a Christian way, right? Be humble. Don't brag, but be proud of what you've done. Be honest because you'll be caught in any lies you put out there. Be confident, right? Getting rejected for a job doesn't define who you are. It doesn't ruin your life, right? Trust that there's a plan, right? The right job will happen at the right time. And finally, the, the job doesn't define you. Getting laid off doesn't define you. Getting hired doesn't define you. Christ does. Thank you.